You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hello, I am so glad we get to chat for another episode of the Enneagram and Marriage podcast. Today, we are so grateful to have Jennifer Hurst from Everyday Enneagram. She is a trauma practitioner and she has extra trauma training and is certified with the Gabor Mate Compassionate Inquiry Evaluations as well. So I'm so thankful and grateful that we have Jennifer who really feels comfortable most in the Enneagram 2 space to guide us through trauma tips and questions that we can ask ourselves when we get stuck. And we're going to go through some tips generally and also for those personality types where you kind of say, "Mm, if I'm in that five space, what could I do to shift a bit? Or if I'm in that one space, what's something that I need to remember? So Jennifer really gifts us with that emotional presence that I love to bring into these episodes when we have our twos and our fours. She just grounds me in a different way. Even as I'm talking now, I'm thinking, okay, you're not in your head all the time. You're, You're heading into your heart. I'm kind of sinking into my chair a bit thinking about uh, what this rich conversation with Jennifer was like for me. And I hope you feel that too. Uh, One of the main highlights we're going to be reminded of today is just that to not be tight or, uh, you know, constrained, but to be expansive and to really remember uh, that we have more. And I often forget that God is uh, giving everything we need for the day. His mercies are new new every morning. And we can truly uh, celebrate that because we don't have to worry about scarcity. So that's a great reminder for me all the time when I have my hand in so many different pots, as I know you do too, and you're probably listening. I just recently asked people in the collective, when do you listen to the podcast? And they're like, oh, when I'm doing dishes or showering or walking or, um, you know, all these different spaces and places. And I know that we're uh, often doing this. So I want to invite you to get cozy for this episode so that you can really join me in that heart space. And you might even find that Jennifer is a particular gift to you as a coach. Uh, And she'll talk about her coaching services too. But one thing I'm always thankful for are the twos on our team here locally. They always stay full and they're just so gifted with uh, giving people permission to just be and not always rush ahead. And I also really love that I felt that same permission here with Jennifer. As much as she wants to bring people forward out of their trauma, she also meets you right where you're at. And as some of you know, heart types have that unique gift to to kind of feel the feelings of uh, the rest of us. And for me, I often know my own feelings really well in my uh, four space or in my seven space, but I don't want to share them or my five space. Uh, and I don't even want to really like sit with them, but I know them. Uh, but she gives that permission to do exactly that. And, and sometimes my clients will even have to spell that out for me. Like, uh, I'll have to ask, like, how are you feeling? And what's cool about somebody who really leads with feelings is of course we all have to balance cause you can't just have feelings. Uh, but a gift of this two space is that she can invite people to do their feelings work and really have a sense for what they're feeling most of the time. And when I have like say five husbands or other husbands as clients who are uh, talking about their two wives, which is a very common pairing. They're always like, oh man, like how do they know me so well? Uh, And so it's really neat and they are ultimately so grateful for it. Uh, And Jennifer also works a lot with men because she has such a large family. We'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, But yeah, that's the main thing I want you to really get ready for for today's episode. Also, I always like to remind you that as we've been walking through the planner for this year, if you've been coming with us on this last month of adventures or whenever you're listening, we've been really enjoying that focus on making sure you add in adventures, whether little ones or big ones. And I'm grateful. And we're going to be moving into conversations about sexuality and the month of July. I'm so glad because we have 
big topics to cover. We're going to have Evie from the UK talk to us about the wonderful gifts of knowing uh, the female cycle. So this is an awesome episode for husbands to tune into as well, because uh, I have a lot of male clients who like to track their wives' cycles just to be able to say like, this is the week for this, and these are the weeks I can expect this. Um and then also uh, to make sure that, you know, we're also going to be talking about, you know, you guys increasing healthy intimacy together in marriage. And I noticed that that was like such a big uh, email open. I happened to scan through my reads and I'm like, oh, this one got open more. And I clicked to see what are the number of opens on our last when uh, Get Your Intimacy On was having their episode on uh, or their uh, their. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, their challenge on uh, on sex. And I had so many opens, like I'm talking about like 10 times as much, if not more uh, than that for opens. And I was just like, okay, like we really do need to focus on this. And I really do need to remember this, especially as a woman in my middle years, when this might not be always at the top of my mind every single moment. So I am remembering this, that this is a huge deal for you guys and that I want to make sure we invite you into these conversations. But um, before we bring her on and before we have, we're going to have an episode on how to recover from pornography uh, with one of the leaders in the field. Um, I want to invite you also to really just this time where we might say, gosh, I wanted to solve conflict in your last mini episode, or I want to have a great sex life coming up, but I'm just broken and I need some help. So that's what today is about. It's a bridge beginning of the month and we'll bring in some fun too for 4th of July if you're celebrating and happy 4th to you if you are. Um, But most of all today, I just want to invite you into, like I said, really sinking down. So take a breath with me. And come back to that beautiful heart space and make sure that for your own trauma care, you're getting your emotional, spiritual, and physical self-care every day. I just had my time with God right before this. I literally just get on my hands and knees, pray, journal a bit. Um, I usually read scriptures right before bed, but it was just a wonderful time to be able to release. So I invite you to that and also these wonderful tips by Jennifer. So let's chat with her. Jen, I am so happy to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, I love everyday Enneagram and I love your work. I know you're an Enneagram coach, a mom, a grandmom. We are so excited to learn with you today. Tell us about yourself. Well, um, you kind of nailed it. I'm a mom. <laughs> in addition to being an, an Enneagram practitioner, I, I work with uh, people in a private practice mm-hmm. and I'm a, I have seven children. Six of them are boys and it's uh, been actually a really beautiful unfolding in my practice to see how many men have been um, called forward to do their work. And because I'm a mother of six sons, I've been around a lot of masculine energy. Mm. It's, it's been a really beautiful, uh, unexpected, um, part of what I do and the demographic of the work that I do. So that's been fun because we need both partners. And so Mm. sometimes that's not always the case that both partners want to do their work. Mm. So I'm a mother, grandmother. Um, I, we live in Southern Utah. We love to in the outdoors uh, days on the lake are just wonderful but yeah it's a pretty full life yes and what a great place to raise boys as you know we were vacationing there while we were chatting and you guys have such beauty around you so beautiful really it is a beautiful desert landscape but we're within 45 minutes of skiing Mm. and mountain ranges and for about about an hour and a half from las vegas so we kind of live in a really nice little pocket Yes, you do. And tell us about you and your hubby's types too. Okay. So I am um, a type two and my instinct has actually been a really interesting thing for me to discover um, because I had, I had pegged my instinct wrong for quite a while, but I'm a self-preservation two, And my husband is a self-preservation nine. Mm, That's neat. So you now know that you both have that together, which can be probably beautiful. And then of course have, you probably worked through shadows with it. Um, but so interesting. So do you think your instinct shifted or do you think it was always that? You know, I think when I was not awake, you know, in my, in my spiritual lens, I 
I might've been more of a sexual too. And the, the more healthy I became and the more work that I did personally, I became more grounded in my authentic self, which really does feel more self-preservation. So whether it was an adaptive strategy to lean into a different instinct for a period of my life, that was useful. And, but Mana, as I look back to on my, on who I, how I was presenting previously, mm-hmm. I really do see the self-preservation was active and alive in me. So, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you were able <laughs> to move into a space that felt healthier. And it sounds like in that two space to be able to say, not just taking care of others and reading the needs and uh, that, but also learning how to take care of me. Right. And that moved tandem with being a mother of seven, where I belonged to everybody else, but myself. Mm. And, and so it's been a real gift actually. Um, in that you mentioned that it's really brought my attention to how uh, warm I feel towards that self-preservation part of me, because it really did help pivot my attention on my needs and what I need and want as a human being differentiating from my children, really becoming my own individual um, so yeah, it's, that's been an actually a beautiful part of my, my journey. Mm, and with so many rewards, guys, listen to this because Jen is giving you life giving tips so that if you're like, I need to give everything and not leave anything back for me, know that, uh, she's saying no, when she became more grounded and learned how to balance and get rest and self-care, she became a better mom to this big crew. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it, it was a wrestle because it, it feels selfish as the two. It feels uncomfortable to do anything for me or to, you know, for a long time getting in the tub was the, my only reprieve from people needing. And, you know, because his, his mom used seven children, like you never get privacy. Yeah. But if I was naked in a tub, for the most part, they left me alone. <laughs> boys are like ew mom get away from me like that's I have one boy out of three the girls are literally in their husband trying to run in and I'm like tub is sacred leave me alone yes it's right so sacred I love that you had that boundary even then and I think sometimes our boundaries of like little things like we still do a date night or I still had my baths whatever it is there's these little things that help us to literally in this case tread water Um, but what we're really getting at is you're thriving now and you're teaching others to do it. And I'm so excited for us to get to learn from you. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about one of the big pieces of our talk today, as you know, is trauma. And no, you, you explained to me how people get really caught up in the trauma in marriage and that runs the show sometimes. So tell us a little bit about how you use Gabor Mate's addiction model. I love his work. He's so groundbreaking. It's beautiful that you bring it in. Tell us a little bit about your trauma work and how you do that. Okay. Wonderful. Um, Trauma work actually came as a big surprise. When I began um, working with people, it was evident that it wasn't until they could confront their wounds, you know, and we in the Enneagram are pretty clear about what childhood wounding could potentially be according to their type structure. And I could see it and I could, I could feel the, the wound that they were really just trying to ignore and repress and push down and cut away from and let go of, you know, and I, I really do subscribe to a different mentality and, and it's instinct, instinctly mine, but it also is mirrored in the work that I'm doing and training through uh, Dr. Gabor Amate and his compassionate inquiry. It just was so clear that until we dealt with that, we would not be able to really begin to embody their essence because the trauma, as we know, is an adaptation as is the personality Mm-hmm. And when people were restricted in trauma, their personalities were really big. And as they, um, the, because that's just the maladaptive aspect, you know, and I, I'm really, it's a, the Enneagram is really fun to describe to people that aren't familiar with this model in that when we talk about personality, we're talking really about two things that are working tandem together. One is the essence, the ineffable, unchanging, mm-hmm. we come to earth as this person. Um, And I I think for the most part, that's agreed upon through Enneagram authors and educators that we come with this and then through a variety of different nuances, infinite nuances, actually, we 
we create the persona, the mask, the personality, and that can be very um, intelligent. It's very sophisticated and complicated, but it, it, the mask, that persona fits just exactly perfectly on this essence that's underneath, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so the personality, as I have experienced it, when people are in trauma, that the less healthy they are in their type, their personalities tend to get bigger. And sometimes they've resourced to one of their, their resources, their, their stress point or one of their wings. And then that becomes also bigger. They're not very flexible in, in terms of how they're moving around the Enneagram, what their accessible resources are. They're not doing that very well. Mm -hmm. And so the, the trauma was like, gosh, we gotta, I gotta figure out how to become more trauma informed in order for me to really be able to work um, and get into the essence as opposed to working with the personality. Mm. Um, and so I, I, did quite a bit of my own work in trauma work for many, many years and was a big fan of Gabor Mate's works and applied for his program, was able to get in. Mm. Um, his program is designed for, for people in the helping profession. So a lot of therapists and coaches and um, facilitators, even healthcare providers, uh, social workers, there's a lot of those in this group as well, because, um, it's just not in our medical model to ask people about their pain and their sadness. We're just very quick to dismiss it. And let's get to the practical things of doing. What can we do to mitigate your stress? Well, let's give you an antidepressant or let's give you all these things to do. And Gabor's approach is let's just pause and go inward. Let's really connect to the authentic self. Yeah. His, um, his model really plays deeply into the wrestle between authenticity and attachment. Mm. When we are in attachment, this is where I perceive the Enneagram showing up as, as in unhealth. We're in a state of codependency. We're in a state of, of choosing our attachments at the, at the expense of our authenticity mm. and, and reminder when we can really just confront the, the pain when we can, then there's a fairly strategic process of inquiry. And I was trained in the narrative Enneagram. So the process of inquiry for me was really natural. I was already equipped with that. And so the, the compassionate inquiry that Gabor does mm -hmm. is right along with what I'm already doing. And, and when people really are ready to confront the trauma, and I think one of the misconceptions about trauma work is that oh, we're going to have to dig up the past or we're going to have to um, relive all of the things. And, mm -hmm. and that really isn't the case in most trauma recovery states is we really have to find the state of activation. We have to find the part about them where they're mostly activated or uh, responsive. And then we follow that. And, and that's really a, mm -hmm. a, a deliberate state of inquiry that happens and lots of somatics, a lot of somatic awareness, a lot of um, engaging all three of the intelligence centers, mm. holding a, a very abiding presence, a very empathetic container, a, an empathetic witness is ultimately where mm. the, the trauma began is that they were alone mm. in their suffering and they had to, to disconnect from their authentic self in order to survive that, whatever it was. Um, one thing that I'll say too, about trauma is that sometimes people think that the event is the trauma. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll use my hand as an example. If mm -hmm. my hand were a knife and I were to cut my hand, I would have a wound on my hand. And, and in some cases, people think that it's the knife that's the problem, but it really isn't. So if it were a rape or a car accident or, um, whatever the event was, mm -hmm it left a wound and that is the trauma. The wound is the trauma. And I could use my finger and go back and forth, back and forth and create the same kind of wound in my hand mm -hmm. using a different mechanism. But the, the problem is still, we have to address the wound. Yeah. Um, I, do you know who Corey Mascara is? He's um, a writer on, and he's on social media, but he has a, a quote that says something to the effect of, um, I have it right here. Searching for happiness without doing healing work is like rowing up a stream without untying yourself from the dock. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. 
That's really, yeah, pivotal that you're sharing with everybody. There's no way around the work. If you want to lessen the unhealthy pieces of yourself, that personality, that ego that shows up, uh, those vices, you've got to dig deeper. And I love how you remind us, Gabor Mate has learned this through all of his years of addiction work. Uh, you know, he coined compassionate inquiry. You've explained what it is. Uh, I want to step back and tell you, um, I think some of our listeners are familiar with somatics. Some of them aren't. I know some of the people uh, would love to just learn a bit more about that. If you can share what you mean by that. I'm sorry, by which, by what? Somatics. That's okay. Somatics. Okay. So soma means body. And so in, in the Enneagram we're we're taught those that are trained through a professional organization, they'll learn that we have three bodies of intelligence and as a facilitator and a practitioner in this space, I'm very cognizant of what's happening in their body. Mm -hmm. So if, for instance, I'm consulting with a type six and I, I recognize their shortness of breath and um, their inability maybe to make eye contact. These are all body related responses that I'm watching and tracking. Uh, Sometimes people will get sweaty or they'll touch their throat and hold their heart or they'll hold their belly their body is talking to them. Mm-hmm. You know, Bessel van der Kolk's work about the body keeps the score. All of our lived experience is in the body and we, everybody has access to their body. So if it's related to the body, we'll often, you know, call it a somatic response. It's a body response. Um, there are three types on the Enneagram, as you know, that their core intelligence is their body. That's sensations. Those are gut instincts. That's soma. Mm -hmm. And so um, in trauma work, somatic awareness, being aware of what's happening in the, in the person's body, asking them what's happening right now. I noticed you just put your hand on your heart or I noticed that you kind of held your breath a little, like, can you tell me about what's happening in your body? Let's bring your awareness to the body and see what the body wants to tell you. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of intelligence there for us. If we are able to slow down able to be present with, with it and not run most, most times without proper guidance here, it goes right through the amygdala and our brain gets hijacked with fear or shame or, you know, all of the defense mechanisms that we're aware of within the Enneagram, those really will take over and then it bypasses the body. I mean, and as me as a type two, my strategy was to go deep, deep, deep into feelings. And I almost was unaware of what my body was trying to tell me for many years, even though I, I resourced to the type eight, which is a body type. Mm. I get very busy when I'm stressed and not doing well, but um, I still wasn't listening to my body. And so Mm. that's a big part of this work that I do is bringing awareness into the body and allowing that to be a, an educator and a teacher to my clients. Mm. That makes sense. I explained that right. <laughs> it did beautifully. And I feel like what a gift for all the types to hear. Like you said, sometimes heart types are out there. The twos, threes, and fours going, I've got to help everybody else's feelings or, um, you know, feelings only, like you said, or some of us head types are literally like heads on a stick, myself included. And, um, I can do my work and be like, oh, but I need to go uh, as a female, like go coddle over here. And, and I think we have these overlays uh, that I'm still working on and being intentional with. And then we also have, like you said, you focus in on male listeners who I think do often have a body instinct or an error aligned to the body that they're quick to go to, but you're reminding them how to go there because we know there's so many anxiety and depressive and otherwise dissociative disorders that take us out of health when we're not aware. So it's not really a choice. Like, uh, this is a theory, this is very real and grounded. And we have a lot of empirical evidence that says, just so you listeners know, guys, Jen knows what she's talking about. You've got to do this somatic work. I love that you bring that to us. And I was going to ask how you do that with people. And you've already explained part of that, but feel free to add anything before we go through the types. Is there anything else you want to add to when you say, this is how I help people process through their trauma. This is maybe something listeners can do. Um, I do work with quite a few strategies, um, to help people learn about their body, but, but really the, the biggest is to create a state of 
presence and spaciousness within them. Mm-hmm. Anxiety feels very restricted and very closed and tight. And there's, it's like, there's not room, there's not room. And I'm feeling strangled by the anxiety. Wow. And sometimes I'll use, I use a lot of metaphors in my work because I, I think they're very useful, but I imagine being in a body of water and the waves are coming and crashing and, you know, the waves at some point begin to lift you up off of the ground and you can't find your feet. And so now you're, you're up into the water. There's no ground beneath you and you're, you're scrambling to stay on top of the water. You know, just that I've been in that state of panicking and, and you're using every muscle and every everything to stay on top of the water, but yet you feel like you're, you're almost drowning. You're just barely staying on top. Mm. And if we just, if we just pause and be present and allow a surrender in the body, Mm. we realize that the body is actually very buoyant Mm. and the body will float and we can allow the, the nervous system, the 90 seconds that it requires biologically to come back online. And then we can assess the situation. Hmm. Um, and, and so. I didn't know that in, about 90 seconds. Tell us more about that. When you say it takes about 90 seconds to come back online. Yeah. Yeah. So this is applicable to every human body, hmm. regardless how apt you are to navigate stress and anxiety that the, the biological uh, time frame of regulation, when a state of anxiety, this fight, flight, freeze, fawn. When you fall into that state, it takes 90 seconds for the nervous systems to all become regulated. And of course, that's, that is the key in, in recognizing that your amygdala is going to jump in and it's going to create stories. It's going to, you know, and this is where an orientation to time for me becomes a really important part when we get into the fear response, sometimes we're thrown back into time. And then the stories are talking about past things that have happened, using past evidence to inform us of the present moment. And we really lose a lot of, of our own conscious conduct in that state. So mm. being present, if you feel like you're being strangled, you know, imagine yourself in a body of water and just take a breath and allow every muscle in your body to relax and you'll float. You will float Mm. and you'll be able to become present again, be able to access your resources, be able to make very conscious conduct decisions. Mm. And, and you still might be anxious that you're in the water, but at least you are you're not showing up in the water. That's yeah, right. That's exactly right. Jim yeah. Gaffin says you're like with all the kids and you relate with that with all the kids. Like, you know, oh, yeah. you are up there, girl, like you are floating and you are uh, able to direct yourself. And, and there are places where you can meet with God. And, and I love that analogy. That's beautiful. I love that you use metaphor. And I love that you bring this calming, even the water analogy to your clients to let them know they're not suffocating underneath anymore. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The feeling of spaciousness is, Mm. is really what I try to embody and, and they are their own medicine, right? Mm. I'm just here to be an empathetic witness. Mm. And occasionally I might give some reasonable advice, but unless I can teach them how to be their own healer there, that they have everything within themselves to heal and to develop and embody their, their highest self, their highest essence, then I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. So the gift that I would love to give them is just a feeling of spaciousness mm-hmm. because it is in that space and in that state of nervous system work that we can really begin to look at all of the intelligence that's happening inside of the body. So oh, I love that in a way mm-hmm. you're inviting them don't play God, but in a way you're like, but you are empowered and you don't have to be a victim. And so, uh, you know, there's the sense of like, I don't have to manage everybody's stuff if we're in our two space or, our eight yeah. space, you know, these different spaces that think we have to do it all. And you're saying, no, we can allow ourselves to know that we're loved, that we're held, that we've got plenty of space. I know I, I use a lot of those in my experiential work and relaxation of just reminding people there's a huge space to process in, reminding myself of the same when I feel very limited. Um, 
This is awesome. Can you tell <laughs> us, uh, and, and of course, briefly, so we can honor your time and our listeners time, but can you tell us a tip for each type as they walk through trauma healing, knowing that a lot of the times they're going to want to do this work with somebody like yourself. And we'll leave all of your info in the show notes as a compassionate witness. Um, but tell us a little bit about what the types can do if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I actually really loved this prompt because it, it made me really think a bit about my, my training in the, in the narrative Enneagram, which is the narrative reflecting our story, our yeah. words. What are we, what, what is the story here? Mm. So um, I'm going to uh, sort of introduce each type by a, a thought or a core feeling that each type is already operating from a lens that they're operating from. Mm -hmm. And then in relationship, I would ask that they would look deeply in, to be in, curious, have inquiry about what's happening. And again, we can't do this if the nervous system is tight and restricted. So we have to create the state of spaciousness for them to just look. We don't have to do anything about it. You know, we're just going to look and see what we find. Mm -hmm. And so I presented some questions that I would I would ask each type if that's okay. So okay, I'll start with it then. Um, let me just say to our listeners, make sure you're taking the deep breaths with us then as she's mm -hmm. sharing um, and know that narrative work is absolutely essential for good marriage and relationship work too. So you can get a double dose here, but thank you. So go ahead. Yeah, no, that's great. So I'll start with type eight. These are eight, nine, and one are the body types. They bring in information through their body. Um, so the eights believe that they are strong and powerful. And so the question that I would like to present for the type eight is how does vulnerability prevent you from getting close in relationships? Mm. And maybe a, a flip side of that is how does the denial of vulnerability prevent you from being emotionally available in your relationship? Mm. So we've got strength and vulnerability. It's the same thing. We're just looking at it from different sides. And so um, that would be the question that I would like to present for them. Mm -hmm. um, the, ang the anger that's accessible in the type eight can really be a, a powerful uh, force for good when it's properly restrained and it's used consciously. Mm -hmm. When it's when it's unconscious, it's really messy and it's very aggressive and unaccessible to vulnerability. Mm. And when the personality's big, they're extra strong, um, extra aggressive. And so just being curious about that vulnerability, either the prevention of it or the accessibility to it and how is it showing up and is it working for you? Maybe, mm. you know, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Just get curious about that. The type nine, I am peaceful and harmonious. Um, the strategy or the defense mechanism for the nine is to narcotize. And that sort of means to fall asleep. And so um, I saw something recently that someone wrote about the type nine, that they are busy doing everything and nothing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that my husband's a type nine and that really resonated with him. And so I'd like to ask, like, how does narcotizing affect you and your loved ones? Um, am I awake or am I asleep? And the nine has a tremendous capacity to be doing both. They mm -hmm. can be with you and they can also be completely unpresent from the situation. So just understanding the affect of that would be a really beautiful question I'd like to ask the nine. When nines awaken to themselves, they can uh, disagree with, with what's happening. They can take action. Mm -hmm. um, and it's coming from that place of, I feel peaceful and harmonious, but I'm also integrated and aware of my own position. And there's a lot of autonomy that happens in that space. Mm -hmm. um, the type one, I am good and I am right in the world. And because the ones naturally focus on improving the world, there's a rigidity that can occur for the type ones when they're unaware of their strategies. And so I would invite them to get curious about how is my rigidity um, in, in 
the literature, it's re- it's called reaction formation, but but that's a hard word to kind of understand in a few seconds. So I'm going to use rigidity. How does my rigidity affect my relationships? How is it affecting my relationship with myself? You know, there's a, a term of like being tight-lipped. A lot mm-hmm. of ones are real, you know, real pursed lips and they're just, there's this intensity within them. And, you know, we could spend an hour talking about nonverbal communication Um, the ones really, because they're a body type, there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that goes on there that they can just be aware of. So, um, (laughs) so the type two, I am helpful and loving. Mm -hmm. So the type two is very aware of other people. We're now moving into the heart types where Mm -hmm. each of the heart types, the two, three, and four are, uh, they're interested in being attractive to the other and in different ways the type two is interested in in being wanted and needed and i'm so loving to you so you'll be loving back to me um the problem is is that they don't really look close enough at what their needs are because they're so other focused and other referenced and so the question that i would like to ask is um how is repression of my own needs showing up in my life Mm. Um, what does it look like to have your own needs and to know and understand your desire for love and connection? Mm. Wow. That's huge. So twos can, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that really hits on twos, uh, dealing with their neglect and, uh, you know, maybe past experiences when they didn't have somebody to give them that space for self-care. So I love how we're inviting them into some healthy adult behaviors. Yes, absolutely. And they, they are, you're right. They, they can really minimize um, themselves and their need to have even their basic needs met. Sometimes their basic needs feel like it's too much. I'm asking for too much. And that's the wrestle that the twos have. Mm -hmm. Um, The type three, they, the or the statement that I have for them is that I am successful and I am capable. Mm-hmm. So the threes are, as you've probably heard, they tend to do their feelings as opposed to feel their feelings. And so by moving into the heart space, slowing down and getting a little outside of the feeling and engage in new approaches and new strategies that, um, threes will eventually find their way into a lot of authentic feeling space. But as long as they're identifying with what they're doing, you know, that's the outward projection, they sort of miss the heart, they kind of skip over the heart. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how does identification, meaning who they identify with, who am I to the world? How is that operating in your life? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you are you portraying an image? Are you portraying um, an, an, an ulterior kind of person, mm-hmm. right? It's like, let's just take that identification off and see who's there. And is that person, that essence being fully expressed? Are you engaging with your, I mean, the three is interesting in that it's dominant in the heart type and also repressed in the heart. So mm-hmm. it's, just a really awesome opportunity to really acknowledge that there's two things working simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And so how can we negotiate a a state of being in conscious conduct? And it's not wrong, right? These strategies, this is where I love the Enneagram so much that it can teach us that our strategy is not wrong just because it's different than somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And I think because we sometimes will, we're, none of us are taught this, Mm -hmm. early in life and so we tend to think that we are extensions of the other Mm -hmm. and you know I'm I'm with female eights for instance they come in with a tremendous amount of shame sometimes because who they are the strong independent kind of wild fiery intense aggressive leader female is isn't heavily rewarded in many societies and cultures and so they they come kind of with this packed in shame that oh, I'm not I'm supposed to be a type two, but I don't feel like a two. Yeah. I feel like an eight, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be submissive and quiet and small and people don't like who they are. And it's like, okay, well then do you like who you are? Mm. That's the question. Yeah. So 
anyway, the type three. Yeah. So the type four, um, the statement is I am authentic. Mm. They are really interested in things being real and they have a great tremendous capacity for feeling Mm. um they which because of that inner referencing their capacity to feel a lot their um, tolerance towards melancholy they can personalize almost everything everything means something about me this interaction means something about me. The sunset means something about me. Yeah. This amazing steak dinner means something. I have feelings about it all. Yeah. Which is amazing. But so the question is, how am I personalizing my thoughts, feelings, and actions? Hmm. And and is it serving me? Hmm. I'm curious about that. Yeah. And your um, marriage not- too, is I think for all these questions, like how is that serving your marriage if it's all about you? Um, mm-hmm. just really cool reflections we can add in that realm too. And I just thought of it cause I have that sometimes with my four clients and their spouses. Mm, beautiful. That's right. Exactly. Right. Um, I have out of my seven children, I have two that are type four mm-hmm. and as a partner, if we were to talk about in a marriage as a partner to a type four, it it's so, so important to recognize that in order to connect with a type four, you have to either learn or access within you the capacity to meet them in their feelings. You know, if I talk again, back to water, but it's a, I think of it like there's this deep reservoir of emotion for the type four Mm -hmm. and they like to be down in that dark, moody, lots, lots of mystery and wonderful things down there. But the rest of us are just sort of floating on the top. And sometimes we'll dip down, you know, but gosh, if you're in partnership with a type four, yeah, accessing the capacity within you to, to get empathy, to go down into that beautiful landscape of emotion, uh, you're going to miss a lot of connection. And then that four feels unseen and unknown and the fours it's important for them that they come up, they come up to where we are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, the four is a, a beautiful and interesting and compelling type. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. that. <laughs> I <think of> an <laughs> abyss. <laughs> and recently yes. our uh, type four authors was on and she was like the octopus. And I'm like, yes, the octopus goes into the abyss and come on up for air. And, and you're helping people to come up and be buoyant. And, and yet, like you said, allowing us also to know how to go to the depths. So, oh, thank you. And fours. Yes, it's exactly right. And it, the, you're not wrong that you like to be down there. You know, when the fours come up and they're comparing yeah. themselves to others, they have that like I said about those heart types, they have this desire to be attractive to the other, but it's unnatural for them to, to stay into small talk. And it's just, that's not where they belong. They belong deeper down there. And, and this is where the Enneagram provides such a function and structure for people to know their place in the world and Mm -hmm. to have compassion for themselves. Oh, I guess I'm not wrong. Like, this is where I am. This is who I am. Mm. And I'm not this version of somebody else. I'm me. Yeah. So beautiful. Okay. Okay. Drink. Yes, yes, please. Take your time. Okay. The type five. Mm-hmm. I am knowledgeable. That's their belief is that I, I have information and I am competent and I am knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So in that vein, the question is, how does incompetency and fear of not being knowledgeable play a role in your life? And the other question is, how does detachment operate in my life? So the the passion or the vice for the type five is avarice. And avarice is a non-attachment. And fives are the beginning of the head types. Mm -hmm. And they tend to, in a way, overdo their thinking. And so, and if they overdo their thinking, they're not very connected to their heart. They're not very connected to attachment with others. So how does that play a role? And is it serving you? Is being detached? I, I call it like an emotional stiff arm, you know, like mm-hmm. we're just like this to the type fives that are unaware of their strategies. Yeah. So that's, a good that's just, yeah, oh. yeah, that's a good one. 
it is in you're reminding us that when fives do that, they tend to uh, think so hard that they don't have the energy anymore to relate. So it can be a vicious circle. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, here we talk about this. Let's bring in spaciousness. Fives, you have plenty of room to connect and to give. Like there's, we just need spaciousness here. So yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) Type six, I am loyal. The loyal skeptic is what the sixes are often referred to. So how does the role of uncertainty play in your life? Uh, the, The sixes are, they can see what reality is, but they don't trust themselves very well. And so the the role that uncertainty plays in their life can be overpowering Mm -hmm. to the effect that they're not acting. They're not acting on any gut instinct. They're not acting on any emotional impulse. They're, they're kind of stuck into a fear of uncertainty. And so that can show up in a marriage and in a family dynamic really in profound ways. Mm. So encouraging the six to get curious about uncertainty, get curious about um, their projection of their uncertainty in the world and in their, in their world, their sphere of influence could really be a a compelling question. Yeah. That's a really good one for sixes. Um, Type sevens. I am okay. I'm Mm -hmm. good. Everything's good. I'm fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The sevens are, are remarkable reframers. They can take any bad situation and immediately reframe it. And it's a beautiful strategy. I mean, they're they're optimists. They, Mm -hmm. they believe that they're living in a full range of emotions, but this for the sevens to recognize that it's okay for them to sometimes not be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Like not everything is just like, Oh, I'm good. Everything's good. It's like, wait, slow down. Let's take a look. So that rationalizing, which is the, another term for reframing is how does rationalizing operate in your life? And is it serving you? Where are you in excess of this concept of rationalizing or reframing? Mm-hmm. Um, that could really, that could really help sevens that, that need to kind of connect into more rational thinking, more present moment awareness, more heart center. The sevens don't even share a line to a a heart type. So Mm -hmm. that reframing and rationalization um, can derail other opportunities for connection and relationships and more bonding. So Mm, um, good to hear as a seven. I love hearing you remind us to dig deeper, not just we're always on top of that water, but to pull us down and to not just pull us halfway down, but all the way down, stay there for a little while longer, just a little while. Um, and you're, because that's my type, I can always think through when I hear my type. And I know everyone's probably like this, that we're thinking or feeling or doing with this, uh, okay, how is my spouse going to get here with me? Because I think that's part of the journey is when we shift and change, our spouses aren't used to that. And they're like, wait a minute. Like for me, Wes being used to me popping back up uh, and being a one, that's not easy for me to go to those depths with him because he's like, we're doers. So I Mm. think a journey for him also to learn when I've come to the depths to stay there. And it's an ongoing journey, right? Because these aren't always comfortable spaces unless, like you said, we're really practicing this expansiveness and really allowing the breath work. And we're allowing ourselves some time for margin. And these are beautiful things you're reminding myself and all of us of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad it resonates um, because it is, it's an invitation for each type to be in the present moment. And as a seven, you know, orientation to time is the future. It's always like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And yeah, so it's really, that's a really great point. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm glad that it resonates as for you as being a seven. (laughs) 
Oh, I didn't know this episode was going to go so deep. I should have because you're a two with the heart depths. And that always happens when we have our twos come on, especially because mm-hmm. twos are like doing their work too. It's neat to see that you have the innate gifts of a two, but that you've accessed your thoughts and your training, and you've also accessed your body work. And so you come with the first gift though, being empathizing with each of us. And I think we've felt very safe today because mm-hmm. you made us feel loved, even though we know we slip into these maladaptive spots. So I just want to extra thank you for making us feel safe as we process our issues. Thank you. Thank you very much. I receive. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, tell our wonderful listeners and friends here where they can find you and your work and your pages that they'd love yeah. to get a hold of. Well, I'm on Instagram. Usually that's where I am the most um, at, at Everyday Enneagram. Um, you can contact me there or follow me there. It's, it's a lot of trauma talk um, mixed in with Enneagram work, trauma-informed Enneagram. So that's really my, my niche and I love it. Uh, the, this is sounds crazy and I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I mean, the more trauma, the better. Like I, I feel like I really thrive in a space where a client it's like the Hail Mary. And, and I, and I personally have been there in many respects. And I am so grateful that I can catch, Mm -hmm. I can help catch them in this uh, really unique space and provide them with a common language that the Enneagram provides have an abiding presence to just help them witness um, whatever it is that is hurting mm-hmm. and be their own healer, be their own medicine, um, because that's really the only, the only way out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyday Enneagram on Instagram. I have a website everyday Enneagram, um, not as, not as populated there as I am on Instagram. So yeah. Oh, well, thank you. There's all kinds of learners out there. So we'll appreciate all the spots. And thank you for inviting people to that courageous journey of knowing that they can do this work. They are empowered to do yes. it. And that's so encouraging. So yeah. thank you again. Appreciate you. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. It's been fun to talk to you. You too. Okay. Guys, that was really cool to be able to talk and really glean from Jennifer. Even if you just got that emotional countenance we talked about and you just got to take some deep breaths and remember God has you and remember uh, that you don't have to be codependent on your spouse, that you can do your work, that you can find your healing. I'm so grateful. I hope you do just that. I hope you have a good weekend and that you'll check out all of her info in the show notes. Thanks for supporting us. We're so glad we saw that we were on one of the top podcasts for Millennial Grind. So, so grateful. And also the FM player. And I am so excited. We're going to go see Indiana Jones. My son's been waiting for this movie this weekend. I hope you're going to have fun and happy 4th of July if you're in the U.S. And I will talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as EnneagramAndMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.